I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. Here today, I have um, Nicholas Landers. He is a career teacher. He's taught in three different continents, and he's now a motivational speaker and author and also podcaster. You should check out his podcast. I'll put the links in the show notes. Nicholas, or Nick, is, is great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Jill. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I'm excited to be here and uh, discuss anti-racism with you. And, um, you know, I know we had... Um, a conversation last time on my podcast and so I'm just happy to be with you right now. Awesome awesome yeah we've gotten into it a couple long conversations so it's, it's exciting it's fun to be back I'm like you know asking you the questions because uh, because <laughs> it's it's like more comfortable for me to like ask questions and let you speak. Um, so so uh, today is casual Friday. Uh, we were when I was on your podcast you were like well I'm gonna you know wear something nice for yours and I'm like that's crazy like let's just be who we are um, and, and show up as we are. So we're doing casual Friday, which is kind of every day during COVID, but, um, yeah. but it's nice to just kind of uh, do what we're doing. I did put on some earrings for, for the event, but um, so I'd, I'd like to just, you know, I, I was, we were just talking before we started recording and I think on both of our minds is the like day-to-day -day experience of what it's like to be of different races in this, in this uh, country. Um, going through life day to day, what do you experience as a black man? And what do I experience as a white woman? And how do they differ? And if we understood more about what that was like for people, um, might, we, might we have a better um, conversation and openness and willingness to understand the impacts of systemic racism and, and what, it, what it does to people of color? So, what, what are your thoughts on that? That's, I know a very broad question, but um, like what yeah. your experience as a day-to-day, day-to-day living life as a black man, what, like I know certain things I have to do as a woman. I like, I'm always going to be thinking about that. It's always in the back of my mind. I think multiply that times 7 billion and it's going to be what you have to think about. So what, what is it like that you have to prepare yourself for and, and, and think about as you go through life? Um, you know, it's, it's a good question, and I'm glad we get to talk about this um, and, and to be honest about what it's really like. And I don't want to paint it as something bleak. You know, obviously, you know, it's 2020. It's not the same as, you know, the 1950s or the 1800s. It's not like that. But as a black male, I, I do have to be cognizant of sometimes, like if I go to the mall, actually, a good example is I went to the mall maybe like two months ago. And you have to kind of be aware of following too closely uh, behind people, um, even if you're just shopping. You know, um, there are people who kind of turn their shoulders and, and they kind of distance themselves or they slow down to like tie their shoes and kind of look up at you as you're going by and you're like, I'm, I'm not here for you <laughs> to attack you. Um, but you, you're always thinking of your presentation and, and, and how you're viewed. And um, you know, I, go, I go to the gym every morning and I, and I, I try to look, uh, you know, decent, 
you know, going into the gym because I, I just don't want to convey a certain image. And that's, I think that's the biggest piece is always, how do I, what do I look like to you? Right. Because it's not, it's not a matter of how I feel about myself and, and, and I can know I'm a quality, decent human being, you know, but you, it's always, I have to prove myself. And no matter where I go, if I'm pumping gas, if I'm in, at the mall, uh, at work, um, I always feel like I'm just on, you know what I mean? Mm. What, what toll does that take on you? I have to always be on. Uh, you know, like on, I feel like is present something other than me or present something like to, to represent my race is, is more to it. I always feel like there's, you know, the media is going to paint you a certain way, uh, you know, and, and the movies and, and the stories they've heard and they're going to pass these things down. And so that's what you're fighting against mm. before they can get to know you. Uh, uh, I give you an example, and we just spoken about this a second ago, but I used to date someone and she was like half white, half Puerto Rican, but she's, when, when she leaves, when she left the house, she's recognized as white. They, they just see her as that. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me, you know, when you meet my family, um, you know, one side of my family is they're not so progressive and open and tolerant. And can you handle that? And I kind of laughed, you know, because she was, she was so, uh, concerned for me, you know, and I appreciated that, but that's not something that really concerned me because that's what I do daily. You know, I have to navigate a world where racism exists and discrimination exists and it can be overt or it can be subtle, but black people and people of color in general have to be, uh, they have to assimilate and be nuanced in their thinking and in how they represent themselves. And so there's me, Nick Landers, and then there's me, Nick Landers, as a black man. Um, then there's me, Nick Landers, as we accept him as a black man who is something other than our image of black people. Interesting, yeah. And I have to live um, in these different worlds uh, and balance myself. And so what I mean to be on is like, I can never forget what color I am and where I am and what I'm doing because all those those things communicate uh, uh, different things to different people. It's so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's um, placed to that notion of, of, of like white people assume that they are not, they're like kind of devoid of race, you know, like, like, like the world is us, you know, and then there's other races and, and white people not understanding that they carry race with them as well everywhere they go. And that, that lack of understanding and awareness is, is very dangerous and it's very um, harmful in, in a lot of ways. Um, assuming that like, oh, if I didn't grow up around black people, therefore I'm stupid about race or I'm, I'm ignorant or was protected or sheltered from issues of race. And that's so not true, but that's the way that our white supremacy culture kind of conditions us mm -hmm. is to think. Because you don't have to think about it if you're only around white people. And you don't really think about it in your own self otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and I know a lot of people don't like the, the word privilege. Um, but I mean, that's very much what it is in a way when your race or when you get to see yourself at the, at the top levels of society and in every industry, you, you've become the standard. And what you're passing on and the laws you make and so on and your views 
you have people competing not for excellence or competence, mm -hmm. but whiteness. And I think that's what's so dangerous about it, where sometimes people will, 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 you know, implicit bias and so on and how they've grown up, they'll look at it and say, I'm not being racist. This isn't racist at all. But it is because it, it's, it's a mindset, you know, it, history is carried over and, and bias is carried over to where it's so subtle now and so nuanced that it's like, it's invisible. And then we talk about cognitive dissonance where somebody will then say something like, I bought a Kanye West album, how can I be racist? You know, I watched the NFL and play basketball and you guys represented there, how can racism still exist? And, and, and I think that speaks to the power of racism as an institution, uh, as, a, as something that's systemic where your way of thinking is prevalent everywhere uh, to reinforce your beliefs already, mm -hmm. you know? So what do you say to people who are like, yeah, I voted for Obama, so I'm, or I liked Hamilton, <laughs> so I'm not racist. Like, you know, I'm, I'm down with the black George Washington. I'm super cool now. <laughs> what, how do you respond? And how do people respond back to you? Drake, uh, the musician, the artist, uh, the rapper, he has a line that says, if you say you're down, you have to show me. Mm. And I think what he means by that is that if, if we're together, if we're in this thing together, if you really love me and respect me and care about me, then you have to demonstrate that love for me. And when I hear people say different things like that, or I'm down, or what's up, brother, and they give me a fist, or whatever they're going to do, um, I need proof, right? I need skin in the game. And I think that's the point of anti-racism is where if you're an anti-racist, that's actually a very dangerous place for you to be, you know, for, for you to come out and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm for equality and I'm with standing up against uh, people of my tribe who, who may have conflicting views. Mm -hmm. um, last night you had the Texans and the Chiefs play and they had their um, the, the moment of silence or the moment of unity, I think they called it, and people booed, mm -hmm. you know, and That too is a demonstration. Like you showed me something when you did that, mm -hmm. right? In the same way that somebody can say Black Lives Matter and they can plant a sign in the yard. Um, is it gonna cost you anything? Your love for me, right? And I think when you love somebody and you really care about them, you stand with them regardless. You know, you take the hits with them. And I think, you know, white supremacy and cognitive dissonance and all those different things is a way for people to say, here are the pieces that I choose to accept. Mm. And I'm gonna accept all good things, but the negative side, the parts that can hurt me and my finances or my health or so on, and my position in this company, I'm gonna, you know, disassociate from that and just, pick piecemeal what I want from black culture and so on. And then that gets into cultural appropriation. And, and, and again, but in short, um, for people who say they're with it, you know, you have to show me and you have to be at risk. You have to risk as much as, as we do, uh, people of color. How, so it's interesting because I, I um, when I first, I did this anti-racism retreat back in March of 2019 and I loved it. I mean, it was incredible and I learned so much and was like, 
completely dismantled my ego, like shattered it several times and, and, and uh, opened my, my eyes so much. And I got back and I remember writing this blog post. I think I actually wrote it while I was there about systemic racism and like, we're all racist and all this stuff. And I remember I sent it out to my, my mailing list, which I've like, you know, nurtured over the last four years, four plus years since I've been a meditation teacher. And I remember writing at the end, like, I know you're used to hearing about meditation and stuff from me. Don't worry. I'm not going to be flooding your inbox with stuff about racism, but this is just where I'm at right now. And then I looked back at that and I was like, ew, why was I a apologizing? I mean, I know why because of white supremacy culture, but I was apologizing for speaking out about race and, and like afraid that people wouldn't want to hear from me anymore if I did and that I might lose some and then so then the next time I posted about it I was like hey I last time I wrote about this I apologized and I am never going to apologize for speaking about this again like here's my you know here's my truth and and honestly like if, it's not like all these people are like buying stuff from me anyway but even if they were if they don't want to engage with me because I'm talking about race then I don't want to be engaging with them yeah you know, if they don't have, if, if they aren't able to do that, then like, bye. But it's, it's this weird thing that's so hard for white people to like take that stand. Um, and there's like levels of taking a stand. So I totally see what you're saying. It's like, well, show me, show me anti-racist, you know? And, and, and I think it's really easy to call yourself an anti-racist, but then to actually do the work and realize it's not just a title, it's not just a designation, but it's a, it's a, living and there's million times per day that I'm not being an anti-racist yeah you, you know like but it's every decision I make everything I say is either racist or anti-racist do, do you have thoughts about that well, I think that's a good starting point it's a good place to be you know um obviously you put yourself at risk you put yourself out there to be uh criticized and receive some feedback uh, and the fact that you have you're thinking is this a moment where I can be an anti-racist or am I conscious of it? Am I, am I not? Um, this is how people of color feel on a daily basis. So by you doing that and getting your feet wet, you are, you know, getting into the culture and empathizing and realizing that black people are also doing the same things. It's not something that's totally different um, in reality because what we do is, Black people, believe it or not, also think, is this racism? You know, just because you have a bad encounter with somebody at a Starbucks mm -hmm. and they were rude to you does not mean it's racism. It, it just could mean a disgruntled employee and we move on. And, um, and that, that, that's a common thread through any kind of injustice, whether it's, you know, sexism, ageism, whatever it's going to be, or, you know, against your religion. Is it, can you pinpoint what exactly is racism or so on is sexism? Mm -hmm. And the fact that we have to think about what it is to, oh, should we be aggressive about this and, and, and say something? Or is this something else and we should be quiet about it? And, and, and I think white people, the conundrum is, uh, you know, having grown up with in, in, in multicultural neighborhoods and so on and have friends, you know, different ethnicities and different places in the world. It's, you, you know they're not racist but they've been socialized in, in, into it. And so sometimes in their heart, you know that they're not bad people, but they can say and do things to offend you. Um, and even then in those spaces, you have to pick and choose how to 
highlight some of those things. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, for, for you to speak up and to challenge the status quo, whether that's in your household or at work or at the gym, wherever you are, and be unapologetic about it and say, here's my view, because we need that. And I think what we've suffered from in this country is that we, a lot of this division and miscommunication is that we're not having the difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to do everything else. Uh, we want to change Aunt Jemima around. We want to change Uncle Ben's. We want to put Black Lives Matter on the street. We want to put it on a basketball court, except doing something tangible that puts people's money at risk, people's safety at risk. Because I think um, on the white side, I hate to keep putting it like that, but there's a certain level that people will go to and say, but I don't want my, my freedom challenged. And I, don't, I don't want my safety challenged. But that's what everybody else is doing daily. You know, and people will say, well, you, 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 like police injustice and police violence, brutality. Someone goes out and they don't have to be committing uh, some major offense. They don't have to have warrants. Uh, Sandra Bland failed to put on her, her blinker and she's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the Tamir Rice with a fake gun and somebody called and said it was fake probably. And you just got out of the car and shot them. Like you don't have to be doing something insanely heinous to lose your life and to be at risk. Yeah. And I think other people have to start saying, hey, you know, me putting my job on the line is nothing compared to someone else whose life is constantly in jeopardy in just almost any situation, police or otherwise, like George Zimmerman, not a police officer, yeah. just a regular neighborhood cop, not even a cop, vigilante, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, like looking back at my own discomfort and looking back at my, like, look, the stages of, because now I'll talk about it all the time and I have no problem talking about it, but at first it felt like this big thing, you know, like, I don't want to be too much of this. And someone asked me to be on their podcast um, about, about to talk about race. And they're not normally talking about that. And they were like, we don't want to get too controversial and we don't want to do it. And I was like, I think we should, you know, and they were like, you know what, we're right. But like, if I hadn't pushed back, we would have just like kept it super, you know, like not upsetting anyone and not, in, you know, we don't want it to be too in your face. Um, one of one of the interviews I did with a woman named Crystal McCreary, um, she said, and this is something that she was paraphrasing that she had heard elsewhere, but for any time, a, a, any person, but a white person leans into their discomfort, you're giving someone else the space to back away from theirs, which I thought was so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. like, what are we so damn afraid of? Like, why is this right to comfort such a thing? And I think that's the one that, that and defensiveness are the two like symptoms of white supremacy culture that really speak to me the most. Like, why is it so hard for white people to get uncomfortable? It is, but it's like the craziest phenomenon ever. Like it's, it's almost comical to watch if it wasn't so traumatizing and, 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 um, dangerous and, and, um, you know, everything bad, but it's, it is so ridiculous that there is this notion that I'm, I shouldn't have to get uncomfortable. Like, yeah, like you're saying, like all these things until it actually like hurts me. And I'll like ask people to do free, you know, free webinars and free put together like, com- you know, panels on racism for free. But then when I actually have to like pay for the anti-racism training for my company, 
I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I've experienced, I've experienced some of that as well. Um, so what, what, what are some things like maybe three things that you think that you wish that white people did or said, uh, differently in mm. terms of race or anti-racism? Wow, or maybe five, if you want to choose five. I, I don't know. I guess I never thought of it in terms of, um, even to like number it, I guess I'll just kind of spitball an answer here, but. Yeah. Take it where you want to take it. <laughs> uh, I think I'd like to see um, people be more outspoken or advocates to be more outspoken. Um, at a certain level, it's really cool that you, have, you can have, you know, white friends and they love you, you know, and they'll do anything for you. But when it comes to the next phase of that, you know, bringing you to their house or something, a lot of times you can run into that where it's cool to see you at the gym. It's cool to see you at work. I don't know if I would invite you into my house. And that's kind of one of the tests that I have. It's so you know? real. It's like what you're talking. And we talked about this when, on, when I was on your podcast, like, yeah, I was friends with these people at school, but there was no like, socializing and I wasn't like they asked me and I said no or I asked them and they said no we just didn't do it right. so weird but well, yeah how can you bond in a place where there are limits on those interactions or, yeah. or standards like if you go to the gym you know it's a gym it's a public place and certain things are cool and certain things are not you, mm -hmm. you go to work there's protocols and things like that and what's considered professional. And you can kind of strip that off when you see people on your own and they're on your patio having a, and it's a barbecue and they can be themselves. And mm -hmm. when, when black people and people of color, when they're at work, they're something they have to be to survive. Yeah. I need people, I need, I wish white people would understand it, that you're not getting that full person. You can be your full person. You can show up late. You can say things however you want to, because, hey, you know, you're going to get a slap on the wrist, if at all. If, if someone else does it, and, and it's a person of color, then it, it means the implications are entirely different. And so for you to get to know them and to create those bonds, you have to do that outside of, of where we've, you know, demarcated, like, this is cool for us to be together here. And no, right? Um, and so that's one thing, right? Is I, I, I need those people to, to speak up publicly. And the other half of that is privately. And we've all, black, black white, whatever, you know when people have said, are saying things and have said something that's racist and offensive and just wrong. And sometimes because we know them and we love them and we say, this is how they talk, they don't mean it. I think now more than ever that it's important to challenge that because yeah. what we're seeing now is these words aren't empty. You know, these are, these are not empty idle words where it doesn't turn into anything uh, real. You know, what we're seeing is, you know, whether it was Kyle Rittenhouse, the, the, the Kenosha 17 year old, you know, this is a guy who professed, you know, blue lives matter and, um, you know, Trump and so on, so on. And we think, oh, it's just, you know, this is his ideology and this is his understanding of the world. 
It doesn't mean anything. It's a Facebook post and then kill some people, right? Then, and then we're like, oh, okay. And so these things mean something. And, and yeah. because we, th we think, and I think I'm sure people would have said Kyle's harmless. I'm sure his family would have said he's harmless. The same way you see someone in your family or your neighbor, oh, they're harmless. I, I've known them, I've worked with them. I think people aren't as harmless as we think. And it doesn't just have to be in demonstrable violence. Mm. You know, it can be verbally. You could be in a position of power and those things can trickle in there and tank the water, right? It, it only takes like one drop of black ink to, to, to tank the entire cup. That's it. And so privately, we have to do more to, to uh, squash that before it can, it can get going. Um, because if you mean something to that person, like really, you're probably in the, in the best position for people to listen to you. You know, compared to like somebody on, on CNN or whatever, they know you. And that's maybe why it should be your responsibility. Um, so that's one A and one B of the same thing. Yeah, and so, I mean, what you said, you're not getting that full person. That has stuck with me. Like that is still, I'm like, I've heard everything you've said since then, but I'm like still kind of stuck back there too, because like we're not getting, society isn't letting black human beings be who they are. And we're missing out on all of the like richness and, and nuance of people's personalities because like you're saying, you can't be late, you can't all these things. That's really powerful. And I don't know, like it, it maybe it's obvious, but for some reason that really just like is, is, is hitting me. Um, we're, it's, it's literally crazy that white people don't make more attempts to like to strip down those barriers and that we have them to begin with mm -hmm. um, oh, so thank you for sharing that any other any other things uh, um other things i think i wish because uh, all i all i really want is a broader perspective Mm -hmm. um, I wish more people would travel in a general sense, mm. both black and white and, and whoever. Um, that's one of the things that's enriched my life uh, in the way so much is that, you know, I've traveled to like 30 plus countries. I, I've lived in, in three different ones. And I can, and I know what it's like to be black. I won't say long term, but when you live somewhere for a year or two, you, you've been there. It's not vacation. Like, oh, you go to France for two days and people like to be like, oh, I know. <laughs> I'm French. Oh, my God. But when you, when you have to live there and do your laundry there and, and, and associate with people and, and watch those dynamics and be a part of that, it's something entirely different. And to be Black in, in all these other places I've been, South America, Europe, Asia, wherever, Middle East, I've never felt freer than when I'm outside this country. Hmm. And uh, other people have made this distinction, but it's one that I said before is that in America, you, you have to hyphenate. I'm African-American. And whenever I'm approached abroad, it's just, are you American? It's, it's the, they, don't, they don't have that level of hatred and division 
you know, that's entrenched in our society. They, they don't understand it from that because they don't live here, right? They understand it from like a very superficial view of looking at the news and seeing what's going on, on the BBC yeah. and so forth. Um, if, and let me say this, and it might be controversial, so be it. Um, <laughs> because of the power structure here in this country, white people feel like they own this country and they behave in that way. That's the point of, of, of the systemic racism and, and that's, that was the point of the whole thing, right? Um, to legislate somebody and say, you are less than this and by law and decree, it is that way. And you can only do that from a position of power. Because things have been that way so long and the youth have seen it and history has been rewritten, you know, that revisionist history that's out there. When white people leave this country, they feel like they own other places too. Mm. And I've seen it. I've seen it everywhere I've been. And people will always say, you know, you know, you Americans, and they always make this distinction, not you guys, because we don't act like, black people don't act like we run another country because we don't run where we are. That's so interesting. You know, we don't just walk into somebody else's house and tell you how to do like, I'm gonna walk into your house and you say, please take your shoes off. And you're like, no, not doing that. <laughs> like, it's a respect thing. And yet, yeah, and yet, and so um, I think travel should be mandatory. I think it should be mandatory from a high school level. If, if you know, I know college, there are people already doing like, you know, semesters abroad and so forth. And that's great. I hope that continues. Um, but I think it needs to begin at a younger, at earlier stage. Um, so people can realize that, hey, you don't run this whole show. You're, you're a very small piece to the puzzle and you are poisoning the well with this superiority complex. And, and, I, and, and I hate to say it that way because I know I have friends and I love them to death that they, in their hearts, they're not this way. But they've been raised to see and to believe and to behave in a way that supports what this country is. Of course you can walk into a place and demand a seat. Of course you can just walk straight through the line and nobody will stop you. They, they saw their parents do it and their grandparents did it and it's on television of them doing it. And for people of color in your household, you're told, no, it's not that way. You watch the movies, no, it's not that way. You read the books, no, it's not that way. You go to work, no, it's not that way. And so how is anyone else to behave and who's to show them? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think it's one of the best ways is instead of focusing on people in America to illuminate some of that, because we're all under this umbrella of this craziness, yeah. let's go somewhere else where that's not the case, where people have maybe some fresh eyes. Um, and that's my thought on that. I love that. I mean, I'm so guilty of it. I'm just what you're saying. I'm like, oh God, yes. You know, and I'd like to think I'm not a big a-hole when I travel, but I'm sure I am. And I know for sure my parents are, you know, like <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I try to be more mindful of it, but I'm quite sure that like, there's so much that I could do differently and improve on. What are your thoughts about like people who don't have money to travel? Cause I, I think it's such a valuable thing, but there's a lot of, a lot mm. of white folks, you know, and, and black folks, obviously like, uh, there's a lot of people who can't afford to just like go to the world. 
what are some ways they can either get that experience elsewhere or um, how are some ways that we can make travel um, uh, like a reality for people who might not even think about it otherwise? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, travel, travel is expensive, uh, especially depending on where you're trying to go. Um, obviously, the world's getting smaller. Uh, and though travel is getting cheaper, it's still not cheap. Right. And so um, to gain that experience uh, and that diversity, I think people have to make a conscious effort and choice to enroll their kids in certain clubs mm. or sports programs where they will have the opportunity to not only converse like with other people, but hopefully through those interactions, they get to see what it's like to hopefully befriend uh, some people who are unlike themselves. Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, be invited to, into someone's home. Um, and, and from there, we can work from the inside, kind of you know, infiltrate uh, that way. I mean, I love going, like here I live in Atlanta, and so I love Buford Highway. Buford Highway is known for international cuisine of like all varieties. And, and that's why I love it, you know, because I feel like I'm out of America when I go. <laughs> and so, um, and my measure is always, if, if, if I go into the restaurant and they're not speaking English or the menu's not in English, I'm in a good space. Well, in the right space, yeah. Um, but then, then again, there, there are people who are uncomfortable with that. And, and an example would be, I had a friend of mine, I'm not gonna use his name here. He probably, I don't know if you watch this either way, but we went to an Ethiopian restaurant, uh, Desta, over off like Claremont Road down there. Um, and we got there and that's all this Ethiopian food and stuff like that and things we never tried. And I'm going down, like, I'm so excited to try things. So I'm gonna get this. And I don't know what that's about, but I'm gonna do that. And he literally goes, I forget what he ordered. I, I think it was like hot wings. And I was like, what? You, this is an Ethiopian restaurant. Only Ethiopian people work here. The whole menu, except for like three things. And this is what you got? And isn't that indicative of, or, or emblematic of our society where we, didn't, we, we have so much diversity around us if we open up our eyes and can get out of our comfort zone mm -hmm. with those creature comforts and those, place, those paths of least resistance are so ingrained and so entrenched in us that even when we go into diverse settings, like a, cafe, like a high school cafeteria, kids of all kinds in there, we'll still sit with people who look like us. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I just think that's, that's so interesting and that we have to do more to be aware of that. Yeah. Um, and that could be meditation, right? To, to open our minds to that. I think, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, cause you and I talked about this when I was on your podcast, like I'm, we all saw that the black kids sat together in the school, in the cafeteria at my school, but like, I didn't understand why. And I didn't understand that that was like, like out of survival and out of like needing community. I thought it was like, they just didn't want us around and they didn't want to. So I'm not going to try because I'm going to just like make, I'm just going to be like lame and interrupting. So I think if I had had the understanding of why that's a thing that happens, it would have 
change my thoughts more, you know, it would have, it would have um, helped me understand and have a lot more compassion and empathy rather than just being like, okay, well, that's just the way it is. Um, I love what you're saying about the food. I remember I was in um, Puerto Rico. Um, one of my colleagues, when I first started my, my medical career was Puerto Rican and um, like from Puerto Rico. And she had done her medical training in the U S and um, we, myself and another white colleague of mine and, and her, the three of us went and visited her family and traveled around a little bit. And, and I remember at some point, I don't drink coffee, but my friend was, we wanted to find a coffee shop. And she kept recommending, my Puerto Rican friend kept recommending places. And our other friend was like, no, no, no. And I probably was part of this too. Uh, no, I don't, no, I don't like the way that looks. And like finally found one that was basically like, and not Starbucks at all, but like a cute little like American looking coffee shop, like the same kind of place that we would want to go here. Right. It has like hummus and vegetables and it has this and that and like big open spaces. And I remember my friend getting so mad because she just like, this is the same shit that you have all the time. Like, why are you even bothering? Why don't we just go to Starbucks? And I, I, I don't, until she said that, I didn't even make the connection that we were like, I think she tried like five places before we found one that was acceptable for my friend to get her coffee. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not exempting myself from this, except that I don't drink coffee. So I can at least pretend that I wasn't horribly insular, but I'm sure I was. And that was a big aha moment of like, are we just looking to have American experiences outside of America to like reinforce what's cool and what's like, what makes a, a country interesting? I think the answer is yes, which is so wrong, but that's what a lot of us do. Absolutely. Right. And I'm glad we had that shared experience there where, where we understand and we've seen that. Um, yeah. I think it's natural for people to, seek to find themselves in foreign places. Um, and yet, when we get there in those foreign places, the first thing I think we wanna do kind of is retreat back into a place that is recognizable. Mm -hmm. And I think what the next step is, is understanding that you can find yourself in other people who are unlike yourself. If, if, they, if they're, they're willing to brave those waters. You know, if, if you stay in the coffee shop that's uh, different, right? And the smells are different, the sights are different and everything else is different, the process is different. You might find some commonalities and some similarities there um, if you give it a chance. And I think what people, America is missing is that we're not looking for those opportunities opportunities yeah. to find those chances or to take chances because it's just it's so natural for us to, to say, hey, this is what I know. Yeah. This is what makes sense to me. I see that over there and it looks attractive and I can say, oh, there's a woman over there, but she's Puerto Rican, but I only date black women. I guess I'll never know. How many times have, people, have you seen people who are, I've been to clubs, you know, and, and danced all night with women of, of every race. And then I, I've literally had, you know, white women, Asian women, so on, come later on away from their friends and say, I think you're so attractive, da, 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 here's my number. But it's away from where they can see. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it's like, call me later, uh, but, but I gotta go. You know, or here's all my white friends and I, I don't want to hug you in front of them. I don't want to give them this image or 
but later we'll right yeah and you almost feel like a secret uh this this, this whole thing like risky and and would never do anything about it yeah right you've reduced you've reduced me you've compartmentalized me and you've dissected me into something that's not that i'm not like i'm not nick landers anymore i i'm on my skin tone or i'm my, my job or an appendage and on and on and on and you go but it's a compliment to some people right it's the same way it's a compliment to go to a foreign country and find a place that's like your own mm. and say oh instead of going to a place like we might go to somewhere and look at a mcdonald's in italy and go i would never go to a mcdonald's in italy <laughs> and there's someone else going oh there's a mcdonald's here let's go hoping that it will be different than home, but it's a franchise and the idea is for it to be the same no matter where you go. Right. Right. And so it's this delusion uh, that's just, it's, it's comical at some points, but that's the point. It's just. It is. It's funny hearing you talk about like dancing in clubs. It just reminds me of like when I would travel through Europe and stuff, like I wouldn't eat McDonald's unless I was in a train station. Mm -hmm. and or had a hangover <laughs> I was like that's what I need right now to get me through the hangover but like <laughs> it's just like, so funny to think about my like former life but yeah I mean I was definitely conscious of like hell no not doing that but like on travel day when there's not as many other options and they're not not that good like that's what I know is like gonna hit the spot and feel comfortable but um a lot of people are just gonna do that For like sure. You know, like I remember I dated someone whose friend came in town and he wanted to go to like Bubba Gump Shrimp Factory for dinner. Like that's why do you want to do that? Like ever. But like why when you're traveling to Chicago is that where you want to go, you know? Where there's like thousands of places to go. So it's a it's a very interesting um is that the colonized mindset? Is that what that is? That like Could, could, I mean. I don't know if that's how it plays out or if that's a different thing. I'm just. It's probably, um, uh, if not, I mean, at the very least, it's probably derivative of. of right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because we'll, we'll have, I know, like, me and my black friends sometimes, you know, and we'll look at white people and we'll, we'll call them, like, colonizers. Yeah. And. It's, it's said and fun, but there's, but there's truth in jest, right? Yeah. Um, and even in the movie Black Panther, you know, Shuri, you know, Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther's sister calls them colonizers. And I think what it shows is that, again, there's this mindset of, I like what you're doing and I want to take it. And it's my belief I can make it better. Mm. Right? And again, that's, 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 that's here. Right. Everybody else who's been uh, socialized and groomed, they understand that like, oh, this is not how we operate. We can't just walk into this place and say, here's the new rules. Yeah. Right. And what, what's her name? Adele, who had the, uh, they, call, they got on her for cultural appropriation for having on like the, the Caribbean gear and all the other stuff. I haven't heard about that, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's maybe like a week or two ago. Okay. Um, and again, that cultural appropriation of we want to pick and choose the parts of your culture that we like, and we're gonna we're gonna commodify it. We're gonna, we're gonna make some money off of it. And the part that hurts is that we're going to 
fake money. I need, I need listeners to understand this, what, what they're seeing. When you see basketball players, when you see the music, when you see the style and the urban wear and everything else, these same things you think are glamorous and stylish and amazing, it's cool when you wear it. It's cool when a certain segment of African-Americans wear it because they're the face of that brand. They're the Steph Currys and LeBron James and Serena Williams and the Beyonce's of the world. But for your everyday people of color, they are demonized for the exact same thing you are praised for when you dung on somebody else's life, their living experience. Well, yeah. And so you can go on a hoodie and that same hoodie will get somebody killed. Right. You can go pop and lock and dance and do all your hip hop dancing because it's cool if a white person can dance like a black person. Cool for you. Then a black person dance like a black person and it's whatever. It's humdrum. It's normal. Mm -hmm. Right. The same thing doesn't work in the reverse. I need people to know that because if I put on a suit, does that make me white? Does that make me cool? Or am I just a black guy in a suit? Mm. You know, Kanye West told you, he says, you know, even if, even if I get a Benz, I'm just a black man in a coupe. The Benz doesn't make me anything. Me listening to John Mayer or Phil Collins or Matchbox 20 doesn't, and I love those bands, <laughs> I love those people, but it doesn't make me white. I, you know, I might get into some segments of society just because I like those things, but it, it doesn't augment me right. in the same ways. And that's the part where people are saying, no, you can't wear your hair like this. And no, you can't do that. I know, but, but as long as you're going to penalize us for this, no, you don't get to enjoy it. And the power structure says, yeah, but you don't run anything. So we're going to keep doing it because there's nothing you can do. What are, what are ways that like white people can listen to rap and enjoy rap music and not be appropriating because I, you know, I used to be like, I love hip hop. I love 1990s hip hop. And ew, you know, like, like I did, but I think like, I thought that made me cool also to like say that I liked it. So what's a, like, how can white people appreciate other cultures without appropriating them? What's, what's the difference do you, do you see? And, and you, may or, you may or may not have like a scientific answer for this, but just from your own personal experience, speaking as Nick Landers, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, yeah, again, I don't, I don't have any science for this, but you know, the, 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 the separation, the distinction, you can enjoy rap music. I think, you know, like, like people, black people will say like, oh, you know, Rock and roll was taken from black people. The blues taken from black people. Jazz, everything else, right? And when they make this music, the idea is for it to be powerful and influential and it's designed to make you feel good. And so if somebody else other than black people or a black person enjoys it, the music has done its job. So if a white person or anybody else says, this is cool, I want to ride in my car and listen to it. I want to go to the gym and put my headphones on it and listen to it. You know, I want to get married to this song. Yeah, do it. And black people kind of have to let go of that because certain things cross over. Sports crosses over, it doesn't matter who you are. That's why we love the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But when it bleeds into a place of, I am now profiting from your creation, 
at your expense. I'm listening to this music, but I'm laughing at you. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing these jokes that are demeaning and I'm laughing at them and I'm not laughing with you. Then, then it goes into it, this dark area of, oh, I see what this is for you. It's the same thing with dating. Mm -hmm. You can say, I just like everything. And then it slides into another world where, oh, you just wanted children with pretty hair. Oh, you just enjoy the stereotype. That's all this was for you. Not true enjoyment, you know? And I think that's, again, like I said earlier, when you're trying to pinpoint what exactly is racism, mm -hmm. you're kind of going, is this an example of that? Is this person leaving the gym and their Range Rover with their windows down, this white person blasting, you know, some, some hip hop? Is that total appropriation? Do they just enjoy the song? And I think sometimes we have to take a step back and go, everything is not intended to harm somebody, or better said, everything is not about you. I, I wish even black people would understand that. Everything is not about black people. Everything's not about racism. Everything's not discrimination, folks. You know, black people do a, a great job of discriminating against themselves, stereotyping each other. Mm -hmm. And there's just, you know, history and the remnants of, of slavery that have contributed to that and colorism and so forth. But black people have, I want black people who are listening to know that we have work to do too. It's not white people need to do this so we can be free. No. I, I've had black people enslave me or trap me in what they think is blackness. But I also understand that most black people don't understand where they come from. And blackness is all that they have. Oh, sure, yeah. And so that they've created this idea of blackness because there's no historical foundation to pull from. They can't say, I'm from Ghana. I'm from Ethiopia, I'm Kenyan. They don't know that. Yeah. Even if they went to ancestry.com and discovered that, what does that mean to you? This is very kind of empty. Yeah. You know, and so that's the, that, that's, the, that's the crux of it, isn't it? It's just everybody has this job to do. Mm -hmm. And the main job is to take a step back and say, is this about me? Am I making this about me? Because um, a lot of people love to do that, don't they? Love to see something on TV and throw themselves into it and act like they have a dog in that fight, and they don't. Yeah. But they want to be hurt, want to be a victim. Sometimes it's best to just be an observer. And that's the best place to be sometimes. Like, obviously, if something happens, you know, that's, that's an injustice and you need to speak up about it and you witnessed it and things like that and speak up, of course, but. Sometimes it's okay to just see someone wearing a bandana or a dashiki or whatever and let them live. I don't know. Like, I'm hearing you, but I'm also like, but I'm assuming you mean a white person wearing a dashiki or a bandana, yes? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's context matters, right? Who, what, yeah. when, why? But like, yeah. I still want that. I still, as a white person, hearing you say that, I'm still like, yeah. But if they're doing that in a way that's like appropriating or 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 harmful, like the experience of the of the person, their experience of that, I think. I want to give validity to that whether or not they should or shouldn't let them let it just go. It's like that repeated time after time after time trauma that 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 affects how you see something that may just be a white person wearing a dashiki. You know what I mean? So I, I do want to, from my perspective, like yours is obviously yours, but I think from my perspective as a white person, for any white person listening, I do want to be clear that like. If, 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 a, if, if someone who's black responds to something and you're like, it, it doesn't feel like congruent with what you're doing. Right. Always remember there's a history that comes before that. And then it's also probably true that you're doing something that's, that's, that's ignorant. You know what I mean? So I just, I want to, I do want to put that out there. You know, I, and I understand completely. I think I, I, I do get what you're saying. Um, and kind of looking off for someone to sign off on what exactly is what. Going back to what Drake said, if you say you're down, you gotta show me. Yeah. You need, people need, certain people in whatever it is you're doing, you have to be visible in those communities. Um, that's gonna allow you, it's gonna give you a pass, right? That's your ticket in. <laughs> you know, if, if, if this is your first time in this neighborhood and you just showed up and you're saying all this, you know, pump your brakes, whoa. Yeah. You know, because I need to see your resume. You know, what, what, what were you doing one, two, three years ago or five weeks ago? Because now when you show up like this, we can pull your resume and go, oh, oh, that's, that's Julia. Oh my God, like, stop. Like, we know her. Yeah. What you have is people on the other side when they're appropriating it, they're doing things without any sort of representation. They have no connection to it. It's just superficial. It's temporary. It looks good on my Instagram. <laughs> and that's as far as it goes. And black people are very, and people of color are very good at sniffing that out, you know, and going, that's genuine and that's not. So if you're doing it from a place of real love and you have skin in the game, do it because black people aren't haters. They're really not. You can go into a black club right now, a black church. Nobody's going to turn you around. Yeah. Like, that's not how that's going to go. You show up at a barbecue. Like, if you're cool, you're cool. Yeah. It's not always the same way the other way around. Because you, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, this has been awesome. I feel like we could go on all day. Um, yeah. But thank you so much, um, Nick, for for having the. You know, these are this is stuff that people need to hear, and. And, and saying the things that need to be said and, and sharing, sharing your view on the world and what you've experienced and, and um, how we can all start to be better. I just, I think, you know, it's very inspiring. And, and I've, I've, I learned so much from all of these interviews, but in different ways, which I love. And I think, you know, before the interview, we weren't exactly sure where we were gonna go with the interview. And um, I think it's, I think it's great because there's like a lot of questions that people have. It's like, well, how do I like do this, but not be in the wrong. And I like what you're saying. You just need to like, if your authenticity is there, it's going to come through. 
Mm -hmm. And um, your way to show that you're down is not to like, I was just thinking about, I like, my boyfriend likes heavy metal, some metal, he likes all types of music. And I'm not really a metal fan, but I went to this one concert with him and I wore like a red shirt and something. And he was like, oh, you have to wear all black to these shows. And I'm like, so I did like, you know what I mean? I, I ended up there and I was wearing a bright color and everyone else was wearing black. And I kind of wish I had known beforehand, but it's like, I have to change myself to try to fit into this thing that I'm not to go and be part of it. And why can't I just show up as yeah. myself and not look like I'm a metal person? I'm so not a metal person at all. You know, like I barely tolerated being there. Like here, the music was like fine, but like, so it's just interesting. Like even, even non-racial, like this, like that's kind of like a white culture kind of place. And um, even in that, there's this like lack of authenticity that people think they have to look or be a certain way in order to partake in something. And I just said, like, I'm going to be thinking about this all weekend. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for all sharing your insights and your knowledge. Um, how can people find you? You have a podcast. So talk about that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But no, no. Find you and, and Okay. Well, yeah, first, first thing. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad we can have these, these conversations uh, and, and be open and being as, as open as we are. Um, you know, I, I really, that's a real treat for me um, because, you know, we're kind of figuring it out as we're going and yeah. feeling all the, the nerves yeah, <laughs> it out there. Um, but I do have a podcast, right? Uh, it's called Finding Nicholas. Uh, it's available on Apple Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, all those different uh, platforms. Um, I'm on Instagram at Teacher in Your Pocket. I'm on YouTube at Teacher in Your Pocket. Uh, I have a couple books online on Amazon, uh, one designed for teachers and others for like young adults, teens. And all those links are like contained uh, um, on my different handles, I guess, but my website, nicklanders.squarespace.com. Um, you can find it there and you can book me or whatever you want to do. But yeah, you know, I, this was fun. Awesome. Awesome. I'm just making all these notes. So I'll be sure to include them. Um, Nick, thank you again. Have an awesome weekend. And um, I know our conversation will continue in, in different ways. So um, thanks again for, for joining me. Awesome. Thank you, Joe.